In what year was it we first started looking at uh, email as potential for the platform? So there was a company doing the rounds that were, we do exit intent overlays. And then there was a company doing the rounds that did, um, they do like a save your basket kind of email. But I think at the time they were tying it in with um, It was just PayPal. a single campaign. Yeah, it was a single campaign. As far as I know anyway, it was a single campaign they used to do. And it was a case of if you had a PayPal account, you could, you could kind of um, auto-complete your email, like through a tick box which I think the company said works over 50% of the time or something like that, which basically means... 50% of the time, all yeah, of the time. It, it, yeah, it didn't work a lot of the time. Um, and it certainly didn't work with mine. Um, and then it would send a copy of your basket to your, um, to your email. And then the idea was that you could, without using any kind of promotional codes and, and kind of incentives to keep the person on site through, through exit intent... Um, you could you could win the business without without discounting or offering promotions basically by hooking them back in um, to retrieve the save basket. I think the truth was when we looked at it, it didn't work as well as um, it didn't work as well as just trying to retain people on site and offering them some kind of promotional incentive. In that the first when, we, instance. when we prototyped it rather than testing theirs, like when we actually tried to do it ourselves, that was. Ours versus theirs, in a sense. Okay. Yeah, that was that was seeing the, the as a, look. The net result at the end of the day was you do more sales. You do more sales if you off if you offered say five percent off or free delivery for, to get them to to avoid them just leaving the website. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's where it started. We needed some kind of email function just to follow up on like a save basket. Usually, that's how it kind of came came about. So it was a bit of a counter to um, to what what was being pushed around a lot back then. Um, and then it kind of grew from there. I think as a, there was, we're going back about six, seven years ago, but as a, it was almost like as a, as an added benefit, we could use the same technology to, to, um, um, produce abandoned order emails. Mm -hmm. So, and then it kind of, and then it kind of stalled and we moved on to other things and then it became quite necessary to loop back and build out that kind of email sequences offering in the business what triggered that thought process what triggered the um the development of it now uh, rather than say a year ago that's a good question there? we should have done it 18 months ago to be completely honest we should have come back in and revised it but instead i think we got into the world of search and the search and taking over the search bar um and because we got a lot of traction with that coming back and looping back onto that onto that email product was kind of just delayed really mm -hmm. we started winning bigger customers than we what we what we imagined we would at this stage in our in our kind of development for for search so we kind of hung around a bit longer on that on that project i think um, was there a sense of demand from our customer base or was it more from what we were seeing do you think i think it was a just a just a opportunity that existed there was it was less a case of demand but in terms of what we do as a business it makes sense that we're trying to retain people on site the be all and end all is try to retain people on site and there's only so far you can go with that so for example myself i'm, I'm shopping at like I'm, i've got the mother of all re uh, renovations going on at the moment and everything i'm shopping for there's a timing for it so you'd shop for the hearth for the fire 
and you've got to wait. You're not going to buy that yet because you need to know when the fitter can can come and do it. And then you're getting quartz and they're turning up at different times. And then you've got a beam for the fire and then you're working out what kind of fire is going in there and things so that everything's just, everything's got an order to it. And you'll find with a lot of kind of DIY projects, they are similar. You're looking at timings of buying things. You don't just buy them all at once. So you're naturally going in and out of sites and working out what do you want. You're not, you're not quite a lot of the time, you've got no intention of buying there and then. Um, most of the time, you've got no intention of buying there and then. So there's always going to be a point where we could we could retain a lot of traffic, but we're not going to retain all the traffic because at the end of the day, if I'm not buying, you're going to have to go to far too great a length to retain a customer and get them to purchase there and then rather than allow them to cycle back. So I think part of our part of our kind of um, our development ourselves has been around accepting that we can't retain everyone but what do we do with that what mm -hmm. we need to get some information from the customer we already understand there's there's all the groundwork's already been done at salesfire so recommendations tracking tracking the user understanding what what their interests are what what are they influenced by is it is it price is it um is it delivery terms, things like that? Getting all this, getting all this understanding together, and then almost building a sales pitch, like an individualized sales pitch for every customer to to bring them back into into the website. So it's it's almost like a natural, it's almost like that flywheel effect, really. I guess where if we can't retain them on site, right? Step two is to try and generate them back on, regenerate them back onto the website. And then we try and keep them back on site again. And the, and the process continues from there. So I guess so it's a natural thing for our, our business, I guess. It's a yeah. natural progression. In summation of that, it's almost like we'd nailed the shorter term journey yes. cycle. And this is a natural, like you say, it's a natural progression to re-injection, isn't it? By yeah, bringing them back through that point. I guess the email was the key sort of delivery mechanism, which allows us to implement all those other tools yeah throughout exactly. a much the, longer the buy-in email, cycle the email sequences tool links everything together gives everything a greater purpose so what people search for on site we can understand what those keywords are what their interests were what departments and brands are interested in and then implement a lot of that data into the into the emails that we're sending out it's interesting what you say about the longer buying cycle as well obviously when you're talking about a specific project like your renovation, there is a lot more money left on the table outside of the immediate sale. And I think that's where we focused mainly, wasn't it? In the, mm -hmm. the, in the, in the early years, the immediate sale there and then. Um, so how are you explaining that to retailers when you're discussing that longer buying cycle? I think, I think people see it. I think people become educated to it anyway. I mean, you only need to look at your, your Google ads performance and your, your analytics and see just how many times people are leaving and returning to a site. Um, don't get me wrong. The priority is still trying to win them there and then on the website. And if there's, if there's ways and means that you can do that, I'd recommend any retailer does it because even if they're not buying there and then they are, they're potentially shopping around other businesses. So you've got to use that as your opportunity to hook them hook them back in, like make sure that you're the, uh, you're the, you're the business that they're, they're coming back to first and foremost. And it's usually the one that's, that's going to make you the most confident in, in your purchase. 
in regards to sort of current solutions that are already out there, what would you say were the main differentiators between what we're doing and say um, any of the larger sort of ESPs? We take on pretty much all the decisive touch points on, on the website. So it's a case of even though we're relatively new to the market with email and email sequences, the, the technology behind it and the, almost like the foundations behind it have all been built out through establishing on-site search, recommendations on-site, the overlays, and the, basically the, the intelligence that you've got from people shopping in and around the site. That's 50% of the battle. Mm-hmm. You send out the nicest-looking email, but if it's, if it's misdirected, Ill-time. then, yeah, it's, if it's ill-timed or you've, you've misunderstood the target market, then it's not going to have the desired effect. So what we're trying to do, I guess, is... is Bring this, almost simplify this down for a customer and automate it as much as possible. So you've got you've got nice, you know, you've got a lot of technology with a lot of these kind of um, a lot of these kind of email systems, but they tend to be big and bulky. And we've got a better appreciation, I believe, in an e-commerce manager what they want, what they need, and what's realistic in terms of fitting into their fitting into their their, their natural working day. You know, what we try to do is set up everything so you can just set it up once and more or less leave it and you're just maintaining it off the back of that. That's, we just believe in automation as much as possible. Just on the back of that, do you think that the size of a retailer or the size of a company using email in this way has any effect on the effectiveness or what type of service they actually require? I think without a doubt, if you've... um, You start getting more data, you start getting more information you start getting more addresses you start getting it comes more. down to what you can use you do kind of what you can use that information for isn't it it's it's like i've seen i've seen email systems where it's a case of they can they can pull together all your all your data from different sources and you know and and use that in in the decision making with email some tremendous kind of enterprise level solutions but at the end of the day if you're getting 50 or 100 orders a day not particularly relevant to your business so mm-hmm. if you know the percentage difference it's going to make are not that great what you need to appreciate is that people are especially in the economic client climate sorry um people are running very lean with their businesses rightly so you know the the margin overheads are greater naturally people have less time to to offer great customer service and and kind of hold a hold a customer by the hand or a prospect by the hand. Um, so I'm hoping that what we've what we're producing kind of automates a lot of this process for for customers. It's it you don't need a degree to be able to set it up. Mm-hmm. Like most people could go in and set it up relatively quickly and just have this running and actually generating more income for the business instead of looking at you know, a huge enterprise email system and thinking, where do I start? What are the outgoings? Because the cost of e- the cost of email systems, most of them, is significant. It's a significant yeah. outgoing on the business. So again, we're trying to work smart and send precise emails, very targeted emails to, to customers so that we're not, we're not racking up huge bills. So the client isn't racking up huge, huge bills in terms of cost and managing their resource is a big one resource costs a lot more we've seen it here when you actually dig into what the resources behind certain campaigns and projects when you look at 
wages and you look at that type of thing, it, it, it sends it all, it, adds, it, all adds, it all adds up at the end of the day and people don't have the time to be managing managing all these things. So that's why we're trying to look to, to automate everything as much as possible. A lot of the machine learning that we're doing now that, we're, that the teams are implementing, it's basically taking, you know, trying to substitute a human from, you know, we're not put, putting anyone out of work, but at the end of the day, there's a lot for, for the existing workforce that are working on, on websites. Like, there's a lot for them to do. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense, you know, where we can automate it, let's, let's do it. In terms of marketing channels, we obviously, certain channels fall in and out of favor all the time. We see that like on a yearly, probably six monthly cycle now. Yeah. Um, in terms of importance in a stack, where would you put email in regards to where, where, whether people are ready for it just yet? It's obviously very... Um, you touched on it a little bit. It's very, very rich of me saying this right now, right? but it's, it's probably the most important aspect of people's businesses. And I think because it's been around a long time, this type of, you know, sending out, whether it's, you know, sending out mass emails or whatever it might be, um, it almost gets it almost gets forgotten about a little, a, a little bit. But you've got to look at the cost, that the, the amount of money that people are spending to, I mean, literally, ads, ads costs have gone up more than 50%. I think in one year, in 2021, 2022, I think they've gone up by 50% on average. They're still, they're still climbing. So you need to make the most of that customer or that prospect that's, that's landed on, on your website. And going on TikTok and spending money on, you know, like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, like it's just feeding that machine. It's feeding that machine of just driving, driving traffic into the site. Google know this because what they'll do is they've got all the retargeting ads. So not only do they make the money off you the first time around and the initial click, they're then obviously retargeting the the user, attracting them back a second, third, fourth, fifth time. I've got, I've got plumbing websites chasing me all over the internet at the mm-hmm. moment, like trying to sell me baths and showers and things like that. Um, they've already paid once and now if I'm obviously clicking through those links again it's just multiple hits for for these these advertising networks so what they what people need to do is understand they need to they need to look at the long time long-term journey of a customer through to purchase even post purchase and try and win that customer for life where possible yes there's people where you know they might sell they sell wallpaper if I'm buying wallpaper, I probably don't need to buy wallpaper again for another couple of years. But look at the timing of your email. Just, mm-hmm. you know, you might hold back on your emails for and just send them out every six months. So it's just a quick reminder that we're still there. Um, just jogging the memory almost. Um, but most things that people shop for, it is it is this considered cycle. They'll be looking at they'll be looking at others. And if you're there and looking professional and you're looking eager to win win someone's business. You, you're gonna you're gonna stand out amongst the crowd as well. So, and the thing is, it's low cost. It's low cost, and it can be highly automated at the same time. What you can even f- sorry, sorry, while no, while I'm at yeah, it, yeah. Um, you can even there's there's something that years ago, like I, I don't know if there's a proper professional term for it, but we always used to call it snagging. So, if you've got someone's details, you can not only have you got abandoned order emails being sent out, browser abandonment emails being sent out to to a potential customer. You could actually just pick up the phone. If someone's left their if someone's left their number or if they've left their email and you can get them, you know, get the number out of them and, and get them on the phone. Like it's it's an old school way of doing things, but you can get a better appreciation for, for, for the project that they're doing. 
Um, literally, I was talking about this with someone this morning. If someone makes an inquiry and they make an inquiry about a shower and they say, have you got these in, you know, does this work? Does this work with a boiler? Does this work? You know, is this thermostatic? Whatever it might be, all the, all the terminology. You can pick up the phone and say, well, what project? Let's take a step back. What project are you doing? Well, I'm doing out a bathroom. Well, we've also got baths, we've got showers, we've got vanity units, we've got basins, we've got we've got everything. We've got the flooring, we've got the tiling. What other rooms are you doing? Because we also do, you know, we do also do other hardware as well. We do cookers, we do fridges. It can it can build into a bigger sale through getting a better feeling and understanding for what that what that customer needs. And there's very few companies that are actually kind of professionally going after and I, I dare say like I said for years we always call it snagging we get an abandoned order ring them up pick up the phone and see what mm -hmm. see how we see how we can help them instead of just kind of you know hoping that they'll come back and it'll be it'll be automated it can be thankless at times because a lot of the time people are just browsing but at the same time there's a lot of there's a lot of almost leads that are coming into a mm -hmm. business that people forget about so i'd always i'd always encourage anyone that's using our email sequences to double it up so if you've saved time through you're not because you're not sending individual emails to all these customers that have dropped out or in the buying process a buying journey right now use that time wisely use that time to pick up pick up the phone and find out find out more about what the what the projects are and where where your products might be used are we getting much feedback in the way of ease of use and how people are actually using the, the email system then? Just as you mentioned, people saving time with it and being yeah, able to utilise it elsewhere. It's all been very positive and very positive very quickly, I dare say. Quicker than anticipated. Almost too because quickly. <laughs> you never have too quickly. Um, it, because what, what we did, the way we went about things is we sat down and we produced the nicest. Obviously, a lot of our team is, is heavily, they've got, heavy amount of experience in terms of in terms of email they've produced thousands i dare say if you've of all the emails you've received you've probably received emails at some point from one of the one of our uh, ux team in the company so in in a former life mm -hmm. <laughs> so um what we did is we sat down with the design team and we said produce the nicest and almost like fantasy emails that you'd like to that you'd like to see put together so your ideal e emails that you'd like to deliver to people make them as nice fancy as possible and then once we've done that we've got a selection of emails from you know some are very high in brands some are clothing some are footwear some are some are selling some are almost like screw fix some are football clubs you've got all this range of emails we then went back and said now produce the tools and the interface to create that email every aspect of that email from scratch and that's basically what we did and because it's designers and not developers that are, that are pulling together how how they want to pull you know almost construct this email that's where i think we won first time with it it's very very easy it's 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 very easy it's very intuitive to use the the, the email system and rightly so people people have limited time they're not they don't they shouldn't need to be learning brand new skills to be doing this mm -hmm. and i dare say, say through the way that we've set up the emails as in once you've set up your initial template it gives you the you almost like your brand guidelines are established across every email template most e email systems what you're doing is you're going in selecting a template i might sell 
high-end luxury uh, sound and audio equipment or something like that. And I'm looking through templates for a barber's salon that's selling hair wax. And I'm looking at templates for someone that sells socks, for example. Food. Yeah, and you go, I, I kind of like the look of that template. I'll basically go in, bastardize it, and make it into what I want that template to be. Mm-hmm. Kind of I the wrong way of going about it, really. You're yeah. better off. You're better off having your brand guidelines already in place, and then constructing quite simply constructing your email from there. Because we have spent quite a lot of time on making sure it's user friendly, but also we haven't really touched on this how seamlessly it um, ties into the rest of the product as well. Yeah, it's the the purpose of, for it example, was, recommendations is very easy to set up within an email now. Just yeah, because the work's been done. It's like a world within a world, isn't it? So you've got your you've got your emails. Then within it, you can calibrate. The, the recommendations, the personalization aspect of it that's that's pushed through into those emails. So it's almost like with the emails, it's all of our on-site tools are now having almost like a second lease of life by being pulled into by being pulled into the the email sequences as well. And the two worlds tied together. I mean, what we've inadvertently done quite well is we've tied together all the major touch points, all those positions where you can you can kind of influence traffic to its greatest extent through the search, through recommendations, through overlays. We've taken those things and then mixed them mix them in with the email sequences. So it almost creates this, like I said, almost this flywheel effect. Loop. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's getting more, it's, it's binding together every product in a, in, a, in a stronger way. Where do you reckon... It goes from here then in terms of developing the, the email product specifically. I think we just go... Work um, more on the automation, work more on the data collection. I think the next priority? I think the thing that we need to look at, and I've discovered this firsthand, because when we go to market with any products, and obviously we've released email sequences and there's there's quite a lot of A-B testing that we've we've launched in the, in the overlays. When we launch products, I like to get involved personally and sit down with customers and see what they want, where the gaps are in the business and how we can how we can kind of fill in those positions, so to speak. So and in doing so, we want to optimize the way that that Salesfire works. There's thousands, there there are millions of combinations of, of, of things that you could do on Salesfire now. And it's a case of finding what are the quick wins for businesses? What are they how do we how do, how do we collect the most email addresses? Like do you go on page one? of where, where people land. Is that where you're going to get the most customers? Now, on average, I think it's 42% of people drop out and they bounce from, from a website. The stats are remarkable. I think you're paying on average 55p per click. That's 100,000 people will cost you, 100,000 visitors will cost you 55,000 pounds. Now, if 40, 42% of people drop out immediately, can't do the immediate maths, but it's something like, what, 26,000? It's enough. We'll just be bouncing out. Over a year, that's over 300,000 pounds that's bouncing out of a website. Literally, they're hitting the front page and, and leaving. In no, other, in no other industry would this be acceptable. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. Um, and only, on, on average, it's only about 3% that'll ever make it through to the checkout on most, most sites. Average conversion rate, 1.6%. You're down to literally hundreds of pounds of, of effective ad spend from what you started with at 55,000 for 100,000 visitors. So in terms of in terms of the cost, the costs are huge for, for, for driving in your traffic. And people are driving a lot of traffic. So 
if we were to understand the most important thing to retarget customers is to get their email and for them to willingly give their email address and to subscribe. So it's a case of where do we place that that overlay that asks people to or tempts people to, to sign up to the site. Now, naturally, you think it's page one because there's typically a 42% bounce rate on, on sites. So if you put it on page two, you've lost 42% of the customers anyway. But then again, are they the customers that were never going to have their heads turned? Are mm -hmm. they the customers, if you put it on page one, are you going to actually put off more customers off the back of it? Truth is, when 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 you when you test these things, they tend to be quite similar, the numbers. So they are people are more engaged by page two, and the more willing, a higher percentage will sign up. But then again, you've got more customers on page one, and it kind of the two offset one another. Mm -hmm. So as a net result, you end up you end up with similar similar numbers. But that's not the end of the equation. The next part is to look at how landing pages differ. So in your head, in my head right now, when we're saying when someone lands on the site, you're thinking the homepage. The image in your head will be of the homepage. Lots of people, Google's got good, obviously. If you click through Google Shopping, you land straight into a product. Most category listings, if I'm looking for a fridge freezer, I'm probably going to land on, if I go on AO.com, for example, I'm probably going to land on the fridge freezer section, section of the site. At which point I'm further down that buying journey and... The timing of approaching someone to to sign up to a newsletter is going to then differ. Mm -hmm. So I've gone from two factors. At first, I was looking at it and going, right, is it on page one? Is it on page two? Perhaps it's even on page three. Now I can test them, and I can run. I can I can ABC test all all three of these. But at the end of the day, there are more factors that'll get you a, a result where you can kind of go, there's something as in terms of progress, but. People are entering the site through many different means. Some people are enter, uh, entering the site for about the fifth time. Some people are entering the site for the first time. Some people have arrived off social. Some people have arrived off a link on eBay, maybe. Like, there's, there's all these different factors. There's only one answer for this in terms of how to manage it. Because me sitting there at 10 o'clock at it's night... It's unmanageable at some point, isn't it? Yeah, me sitting Completely. there at 10 o'clock at night... I've got no chance. I'm testing one, two, three different factors and then seasonality changes things. Something goes out of stock or whatever and and the, the demographic of the traffic might change over the weekend or based on the weather or seasonality. It's impossible to keep up. So at some point, machine learning needs to be introduced. And that goes, in my head, that goes through two phases. There's a phase of automation and then there's a phase of machine learning. I think people are too quick to throw around the whole AI. Everything's got uh, yeah. AI, everything's got... Um, machine learning, automating the process that's reaching for the best solution there. And bear in mind, we've got thousands of users now on Salesfire. We've, we can very quickly learn across the networks how to optimize, how to optimize these, these tools. So that's really the next, the stages that we're already on with, mm -hmm. looking to automate those and, and have, have Salesfire as a system reaching out and learning the, the, the best results.